Hi there, I trust that you're all doing so well. It's very cold in South Africa at the moment, but I'm sure those of you who are abroad are enjoying the nice warm weather. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for revelation knowledge. We thank you, Lord, for your powerful word, for the word of your power and the power of your word. And we thank you for what you're about to teach us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. You are our teacher. Guide us into all truth, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. I'm trusting that you've been enjoying this series that I've been doing on different Bible characters. Some of you might be wondering, why aren't we talking about some of the women in the Bible? Well, my wife did a very powerful message quite recently on the essence of motherhood, and she spoke about quite a number of the women in the Bible. If you didn't listen to that message, it was a couple of months ago, very powerful, around Mother's Day. And so I might touch on one or two women that she didn't touch on, but uh, at the moment, we're going to go into Peter. He was one of a kind, wasn't he? In Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 to 18, it says this, He said to them, But who do you say that I am? So he was asking his disciples. This was Jesus. He was asking his disciples, Who do people say I am? And they mentioned various people. And then he says, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who's in heaven, I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, now when he says upon this rock, He's talking about the rock of this revelation that Peter's just received, okay? Not Peter as a person. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. This is so powerful. Wow. Peter had this powerful revelation from Father God. Father God revealed himself to, uh, to Peter and showed Peter who Jesus really was. And this was a revelation that carried Peter right through his life and right through his ministry. Okay, And so this ended up being the rock on which Christ built his church. This revelation that he is the Christ. And this is so important. It's important that our ministries are Christocentric. And you see, for Peter to have played such a key role in establishing the early church, he needed to have had such a powerful revelation. You know, Peter, the apostle, was definitely one of a kind. He, if you look at the 12 apostles, for example, right, they're listed four times in the New Testament. And in every single listing, Peter is mentioned first. Okay, He was the de facto spokesperson for the early church, partly because of his personality, but I believe partly because of the revelation that Christ had given him. Okay, There's a clear leadership role that Peter played, and it's important that we really study this person and get, get a grip of his character. So he was probably the oldest of the apostles, you know, based on his status as a married man. A lot of the others weren't married, okay? Maybe one or two of them were, but he, we know clearly that he was married, and we'll go into that, okay? Um, the Lord changed his name from Simon to Peter, all right? They still would sometimes use the, the name Simon, you know, throughout Scripture we see it, right? But he was then called Peter, which means rock, okay? Petros in the Greek. And in the Aramaic, in Aramaic, it's the name Cephas, Okay, unlike Samuel, John and Jesus, we have no information with regards to Peter's birth. Uh, we just know that he was a Galilean 
He was a fisherman. And we know from Matthew 16, verse 17, that his father was called Jonah. All right. You know, Simon bar Jonah. All right. Uh, So we know that. Peter lived in interesting times, didn't he? Where Israel was under Rome, there were a lot of uprisings, lots of riots. You know, you think the riots we're experiencing right now are are bad. There were a lot of riots at that time. And uh, the religious environment consisted of the Pharisees, right? They were known for their piety. They were known for their religion. And the Sadducees, the Sadducees, the guys who didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, they were more liberal and they worked with Rome. So that was one of the big divides. There were those who worked with Rome and there were those who were very anti-Rome. So we had the zealots. Remember, they were the zealots. And these guys were quite, um, they were considered to be terrorists by some. They were very against any cooperation with Rome at the time. Okay. And anyone during that time with any bit of religious inclination was looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. All right. So we discover more things about Peter's theology and his thinking through his epistles, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. All right. They were written in the AD 60s. Okay. Obviously, 1 Peter was written first, right, in around about AD 60 or early AD 60s. And then 2 Peter, maybe around about AD 67, 68. Okay. Close to the time of his death. And it's interesting because they, they have different styles of writing. And I believe it's because um, Silas assisted Peter um, in writing 1 Peter, right? And Peter actually talks about that in his epistle. And then um, he obviously didn't assist him in 2 Peter, all right? And there are different theories around all of that. I believe that um, this is so powerful when you actually also study his life by looking at his epistles, because that's where you see aspects of his theology, All right. Silas had very polished Greek style of writing. And we know that Peter didn't. Peter was an uneducated man. So we know that, uh, of course, Silas assisted him. And this was the same Silas who traveled uh, on one of Paul's missionary journeys. It was that same Silas. So you see how all these people were connected. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, it says, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. So we know certain things about Peter. We know that he was outspoken. He was excitable. This should encourage some of you with a similar personality, especially if you think God can't use me because of my personality. Okay. Sometimes he was impulsive. He was headstrong. He was an all or nothing person. How many of you are all or nothing people, right? He was extremely passionate. And you know what? As a psychologist, I find it encouraging. I find it fascinating when you study his personality traits. Because a lot of times, a lot of us think, I've got this proclivity. I've got this anecdotal behavior. Can God really use me, right? And um, you see that some of these things that you consider to be weaknesses in your character are actually strengths that you're overextending. They're strengths that you're overusing. And what happens is when you yield yourself to the Lord and allow him to sanctify you, that process of becoming holy, he takes those things, that raw passion, right, that uh, impulsive nature you might have, and he turns it into Christ-like behavior. The fruit becomes powerful the more yielded you are to Christ. 
And this is so important to understand this because God really used these aspects of Peter's personality. And we'll go into that. He lived a radical Christian life right up to his martyrdom, which was in about AD 67, 68, as I mentioned earlier on. And in this message, we're going to explore some of these characteristics around his character. And we're going to examine why he became such a great leader in the early church. The first thing I want to say to you about Peter, the apostle, is that he was a family man. Peter was a family man. And you know, sometimes when we think of these apostles, we just think, okay, they're all these young guys who've got lots of time on their hands and um, they're just following Jesus. And we kind of have this picture of Jesus walking around with these 12 men, right? Now, in scripture, we're told that he designated his disciples as apostles, right? He picked out of a group of people who had been following him, he picked out the 12 and he designated them to be apostles. But there was actually quite a large crowd that would move around with Jesus and wasn't just men. It also involved women. The Bible talks about certain women who followed Jesus, okay? There was the 70 that he sent out, the 72 that he sent out, okay? Men and women who were uh, deployed by Jesus as his disciples doing great things. And so sometimes in the scenes, you know, we've got a lot of these pictures and wonderful ancient pictures of these disciples reclining with Jesus and so on. But let's remember that in terms of everyday life, as Jesus worked with people like Peter, in some of those scenes, his wife would have been there. All right. Do you remember the time when Jesus went to Peter's house and ministered to um, Peter's mother-in-law, for example? All right. Just picture that. Watch the video and see that, hey, these guys were doing life deeply together with their families around them. All right. It's important to understand it. It wasn't just Jesus and these 12 men just moving around together. There was a bigger group. Right. And so in Matthew chapter eight, verses 14 to 15, it says when Jesus came into Peter's house. OK, so he would visit Peter in his house. He saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. Now, I'm sure the daughter was also there, right? Peter's wife when that happened. Okay, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5, um, it's interesting when Paul is building his case in terms of what we have a right to do. He says, don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us? as do other the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas, which was Peter, right? And that's also quite interesting. And when he says to take along with us, he's talking about traveling. So in some of Peter's travels, he would travel with his wife, all right? So this business of saying, I'm a great apostle, greatly used by God, but never doing any form of team ministry with your spouse, okay? Never moving around with your family, right? That's very dangerous. That's not great. Peter was a family man, okay? He was a family man. So it meant that from time to time, he did travel with his wife. So who knows? You know, later on, for example, when we're told that, oh, church is about to start in Samaria, let's call Peter and John to come, right? He, it wouldn't just have been Peter and John traveling by themselves. These guys worked in teams. They worked in groups. And who knows? His wife might have also traveled down with him, right? 
So it's important to understand some of these principles. Peter was a family man. And when we study his life, we need to look at it in that particular context. So when you study 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and you hear him saying things like, um, talking about um, the, the outward beauty versus the inward beauty, you know, of a gentle and quiet spirit, when he gives instructions to the women and talks about true inner beauty, all right, he's probably reflecting on his wife. He's someone who lived this, who experienced this. When he talks about shepherds, don't lord it over those who you are leading, okay? This was someone who understood what it's like heading up a family and um, being a leader in the church. The second thing I want to share with you about Peter, which I think is important, is that Peter was radically committed to following Christ. Just look at Luke 5. And I'm going to read from Luke chapter 5 from verses 1 through to 11. On one occasion, while Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the crowd pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He was diligent. Peter was diligent. We're going to talk about that just now. Verse 3, Jesus got into the boat belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little from shore. Right? So he was a servant leader. He was dedicated to the Lord Jesus. Look how he was just willing to allow Jesus to use his boat. And this is important. Are you allowing Jesus to use your boat? Or are you stingy with your things? No, this is mine. All right? Jesus got into the boat belonging to Simon, right? And he asked him to put out a little from shore. Now he could have said, that's not convenient. Come on, how can we do this? And sitting down, he taught the people from the boat. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. You see, when you allow God to use your things, which are really his things and he's given them to you, right? You can never outgive God. You can never outgive God, right? Watch how blessed they were. I don't believe Jesus would have just come from out of the blue and said, hey guys, you know what, just do this. You know, here's a catch for you and so on. But I believe it was, it was linked to Peter allowing Jesus to use his boat. That was his heart. That was the heart of Jesus towards Peter. And then he says, Master Simon replied, we have worked hard all night without catching anything. Now he could have left it there, but he had the humility to understand that he's dealing with his master. He's dealing with Jesus. He didn't say, you know, what were you trying to say? You know, I've been doing this for years. You know, this is how I grew up. Last time I checked, you're a carpenter, weren't you? Right? Um, I know what I'm talking about. But what does he say? He allows Jesus to have the last word. And this is so important in our lives. Let Jesus have the last word. Okay? Because he says, we've worked hard all night without catching anything. So he was emotionally honest. Then he goes on to say, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. I don't know what doubts you have in your mind right now about certain things Jesus is instructing you to do. Yes, you might have those doubts. Yes, it's important to be emotionally honest with God about them. But at the end of the day, it's important to also say, but Lord, because you say so, I will do it. I will let down the nets. Despite the fact that I'm a professional in this field, because you say so, your word trumps my intellect. He he had intellect around fishing. He might not have been an academic intellectual, but he had intellect around fishing. He had experience around it. And for many people, they let their experience, their past experiences block their ability to hear from heaven. 
when God is instructing them. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. So they had partners. And I'm going to talk about this in a while, that Jesus chose disciples who are already in partnership with each other to a large extent. I mean, he goes and he gets Andrew and Simon, right? They were already brothers. They were in business partnership with James and John, who were also brothers. There's something about relational maturity and teamwork that God loves to use when it comes to expanding our ministries, okay? They signaled to their partners, so they knew that, hey, we need help, right? And they came and filled the boats so full that they began to sink, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at his knees. Go away from me, Lord, he said, for I'm a sinful man. These are the people God loves to work with. These are people who are broken before him. They're not self-righteous. David was like this, wasn't he? He was like this. He he is a man after God's own heart. Uh, God describes him as that. Man after my own heart. He had a brokenness about him. He could repent. He was not perfect. And I believe that Peter had a similar quality in terms of that. He says, go away from me, Lord, he said, for I'm a sinful man. Elsewhere, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about brokenness. He basically just says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who are poor in spirit. Those who recognize their own spiritual poverty. And I believe Peter was like this. And I think it attracted Jesus to him. Jesus was attracted to this. Okay, for he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Do not be afraid, Jesus said to Simon. From now on, you will catch men. Isn't that so powerful? All right. From now on, you will catch men. That's what Jesus does. And when they had brought their boats ashore, they left everything and followed him. Are you willing to leave everything? Is there something that has a hold on you? Are you willing to leave everything for Jesus? You see, very often it happens when we have these kinds of encounters with the Lord Jesus, where we're like, you know what? I've been fishing all these years and I'm seeing that Jesus can help me with the fishing, but I want to be a fisher of men. Let me tell you something. There's something that is always next level. You might be so excited about what you're currently doing, but when you have an encounter with the Lord Jesus, he takes you to your next level. Jesus is basically communicating to Peter that, you know what? Catching men is superior to catching fish. And some of you are bogged down chasing after certain things, but Wait for the Lord to give you such a powerful revelation concerning what's better. What's better? There are better things associated with salvation. The better things of salvation. And we need to grab a hold of those particular things. You know, studying Peter's calling gives us a glimpse into how Jesus selects people. These are not men who are idle. You know, these are not men who are just like not doing anything. They gave up what they'd been doing in order to follow Jesus. When you look at this narrative, you actually begin to see that Jesus called out men who are already industrious. They were already busy people. And very often those are the kind of people who are greatly used by God. Okay, it's not people who are idle in the same way that they were hardworking people washing those nets, fishing all night. They were also industrious for the gospel. Right. 
These were those people in Acts chapter 6 where it talks about how they said, look, it is not good that we spend the whole time waiting at tables. We need to actually spend time devoted to the word and prayer as apostles. Okay, so they were busy people. They were active people. They were not lazy. It's important to understand this. Many people want to be greatly used by God, but they have to be faithful in the small things. Peter was completely dedicated to Jesus, but he came from a background where he was already industrious as a person. Okay, Uh, We also see the principle that he worked with people who were team players and they needed this skill when it came to building the early church. Okay, I don't believe it was by accident that he chose sets of brothers. He chose people who were linked relationally in many ways. I believe that relational maturity and interdependency are key factors in being used greatly in the kingdom of God. Do you want to be used greatly by God? Are you just waiting for him to use you? Are you the kind of person who's actually getting involved faithfully in whatever you're doing? It might be in industry. It might be in business. But you're faithful with the little that he has given you. Look at Luke chapter 18, 28 to 30. Peter said, behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. Now, it wasn't a permanent leaving. It's important to understand that, okay? It wasn't a permanent leaving. It was, we're going on these missionary trips with Jesus, all right? Um, And he said to them, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. You see, in these days, people had family businesses and they worked together with their families. Okay, so when they would talk about leaving their family, they're talking about, hey, I'm leaving that business I have with my family. It could be Jesus. Okay, doing his carpentry with his father. It could be someone else who's in the fishing business. Right. They they moved around together. They worked as units together. And yet these people are saying, okay, I'm leaving this and I'm now doing Jesus's mission. That's what I'm prioritizing. Okay. So I believe that was the emphasis here. And Jesus is saying, there's a reward for that. There's a reward for that. And you see, some of you have left certain things for the sake of the gospel. Some of you have made certain sacrifices. Some of you week in, week out, whether you're running a small group, right? You are leaving certain things that are comfortable in order to minister to people, whether it's hospital visitation, whatever you're doing. I believe that God rewards you. And Jesus says, you will receive this many times at this time. You'll receive a reward in this age and also in the age to come. Just just ponder on that. Meditate on that for a while. What type of rewards these are. Be willing to be like Peter, to literally let go of everything and watch this space. Watch this space. Don't let things have you. Have things, but don't let them have you. Okay, in Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through to 12, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own. You see, James and John, for example, Jesus' disciples, they were the sons of Zebedee. 
They were running a business also in terms of fishing, but it was their father's business that they were now running. They were now managing, right? These were family businesses that were passed down generationally. And I believe that Jesus saw something in these men, something of their faithfulness with worldly wealth. And he saw that, you know what? I can trust them with true riches. Okay. So part of this radical commitment that Peter had, this commitment to Jesus would ultimately result in martyrdom. Jesus foretold the manner of the death of Peter, right? He actually foretold it and it was perhaps to prepare him for such circumstances. How far are you willing to go for the sake of the gospel? Is following Jesus just a side act, just a nice to do? Or is it something you're willing to actually die for? Think through that. In John chapter 21, verses 18 to 19, he says, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Now we know he was in his 60s when he passed away, when he was um, martyred, right, uh, in Rome. I'm not saying if you're 60, you're necessarily old, but you know, that's what Jesus was kind of expressing here, right? In verse 19, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Isn't it powerful? We glorify God in our lives and also in the type of death. Then he said to him, follow me. Again, very powerful. Now, when he talks about stretching out your hands, okay, it speaks of crucifixion. That's what most of us believe. It's speaking of crucifixion. But remember, there are also other forms of torture that the Romans used to use, okay, where they could stretch out your hands. Um, you know, your hands could be stretched out onto stocks, okay, and they could torture you that way. But I believe it was most commonly uh, accepted as Christian tradition, that it was crucifixion. And in Christian tradition, it was also um, stated by many people that he was actually crucified upside down on an inverted cross because he refused to die in the same way that his Lord and Savior had died. Okay, The Bible doesn't actually state that, but uh, it's generally accepted Christian tradition. Okay, So <clears throat> the third thing I want to talk about with regards to Peter is that Peter had simple childlike faith. Yet simple childlike faith. So we've spoken about how Peter was a family man. It's important to understand that. We've spoken about how he was radically committed to the Lord Jesus, even unto death, okay, as a martyr. And the third thing is that he had simple childlike faith. And I think this should inspire us. You know, he responded immediately when his brother told him about Jesus. He could have taken his brother for granted. He could have been like, come on, dude, nah, no, us. Checking out the Messiah, one of the first to connect with them. Nah, right? In John chapter 1, verses 40 to 42. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus, right? So Andrew had started following John, right? Listening to what John was saying. He hears what John says about Jesus and um, then decided to follow Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him. Isn't that so powerful? You know, how many of you are ministering to your family members? The first thing that Andrew did was he looked for Simon. We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas 
which when translated is Peter. It's amazing when we come into contact with Jesus, he gives us a new identity. And Peter obviously received this identity. What is Jesus calling you? What is Jesus calling you? There's what people have called you, but what is Jesus naming you? Right? And you know, in these days, they would sometimes give each other nicknames. Okay? So for example, James and John were called the sons of thunder, partly because of their personality. Right? And there are different theories around why Peter was called Peter. Some people say it was because he, he, you know, he was hard-headed right? in that particular way. Right? Others would say, no, 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 he became a rock in the church, etc. Right? But the point is, Jesus was the one who called him that. Jesus gives you a new identity. Are we willing to believe those whom the Lord sends to us to say, I want to show you something about Jesus? Are we willing to believe them? Or do we look down on them and take them for granted? He could have just taken his brother for granted. Perhaps the fact that he was uneducated might have worked for him. You see, education is good. I'm passionate about education. I'm an educator. I love teaching people, equipping people in different spheres. But you know what? Let's not become intellectually proud. Let's not become intellectually proud. You see, never let your intellect compensate for your lack of intimacy with Jesus. Never let your intellect compensate for your lack of intimacy with Jesus. A lot of smart people think that they know God, but they don't really know God. They know about him. All right. And they know about many things surrounding him, but they don't have that intimacy with him. And I'm just blown away by the fact that Peter had firsthand knowledge of Jesus Christ. Okay. In Acts chapter four, verse 13, and he was just so simple. Look at this. When they saw the courage of Peter, and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I love studying. I love growing in my spheres of influence. But one of the things that trumps that, that I want to be known for is, I have been with Jesus. I've been with Jesus. He took God's word at face value, unlike the Pharisees. Okay, he had a childlike faith and a childlike simplicity that God could actually work with. For some of you, you resist the move of God because of your intellect. Let your intellect be used by the Lord, like Daniel, for example, and his friends. They understood the language and literature of the Babylons. Let it be used by God. Let it not be a hindrance to God using you. In Matthew 14, verses 28 to 33. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Now, Peter didn't question. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, now we don't know how long after he started noticing the wind and everything. But we do know that for a while he was walking on water. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. I believe that he still saw Jesus as his source. He could still, still say, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? The fact is that for a while he was walking on water. And I know sometimes when we teach on this, we like to emphasize, you see what happens when you start turning away from Jesus and looking at the wind and the waves. Be careful of that. 
But the fact is, he started out walking on water. His simple faith helped him to accomplish great miracles. For example, raising Dorcas from the dead. Okay, There was such a strong spiritual climate around Peter. For example, if you study how he escaped from prison in Acts chapter 12, just go and read that passage. Extremely powerful. The church is praying for him, right? And then he escapes. Uh, uh, an angel leads him out. And straight after that, shortly after that, Herod dropped down and died, all right? Because he was proud. He was giving glory to himself. There was definitely a strong spiritual climate around Peter, all right? The fear of the Lord was so strong around him. But I believe that a lot of it stemmed from his simplicity, his simple faith. I'll just take you, Lord, at your word. In Acts chapter 5, 27 to 29, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Now, this is the same Peter who had denied Christ, okay, uh, before the crucifixion. But now with the Holy Spirit, look how bold he was. He's preaching. Their preaching is filling the whole city. And he responds and says, you know what? We must obey God rather than human beings. It's amazing what happens to us when we just simply obey. We don't complicate our lives. I'm telling you the simplicity of the gospel is so powerful. Okay, look at that boldness that he now walked in, all right? He was now empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know that the Holy Spirit in you causes you to do so many things, so many powerful things, simply because you now have simple childlike faith, okay? Here's one of the most uh, well-known miracles that he, uh, that he did, that Peter did, and I believe it was simple faith. In Acts chapter 3, verses 6 to 8, <clears throat> But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold. So there was this man who was lame, right? And remember, he came to Peter and John and um, he was asking for alms, right? Alms giving, you know, he was asking for money. And Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. Peter knew what he had. He knew what he carried. And some of you complain all the time. I don't have this. I don't have this. But what do you have? Just like that little boy in the miracle of the um, loaves and the fish. He gave Jesus what he had. Do you have a revelation of what you carry? Do you have a revelation of Christ in you? He says, I don't have silver and gold. He didn't moan about it. But he says, what I do have, I give to you. Freely, I give to you. That's what we called to do. What do you carry? Whatever you carry is not for you. It's not for you to gloat about it and say, look how gifted I am. It's for other people around you. And he says, what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. He gave him something so much better, just like Jesus did with him. And says, you know what? I'll make you guys fishers of men. Come, follow me. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. Can you see his action orientation? Get up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. That's an amazing type of miracle. Very often today when, we, when, when, when the sick are healed, what happens is they have to, you know, maybe eat food. And there is a process where they actually have to have the strengthening of their limbs taking place. Okay. But here it says that 
immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And that's the goal, that God is praised in all of it. The fourth thing I want to talk about with regards to Peter is that he was action-orientated. And I've been highlighting that a bit. You know, if you look at the transfiguration, for example, right? He wants to set up a tent. Hey, Moses and Elijah, you know, let me, let me sort you guys out, right? He, he ran to the tomb with John. Remember when John talks about it? I find it so interesting when John talks about it. I'll read it just now, right? Um, but Peter was actually the first one to enter into the tomb. Right? Although John outran him, but Peter was the first one to enter in the tomb. He was like, let's check this out. He had a bold, he had an audacious action orientation about him. Great leaders have a bias toward action. Be careful of procrastination. Procrastination will stop you from doing what God has called you to do. Right? In John chapter 20, verse 3 to 6, so Peter and the other disciple. This is the disciple who's actually writing the Gospel of John, right? This is just funny, just how John writes it. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. <laughs> Sounds like how I would have written it if I was writing it here. But I outran you, right? And reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb, right? We also see his action orientation in certain um, fleshly things he did. For example, he cut off Malchus's ear. Malchus was the high priest's servant. Do you remember that just before the crucifixion? In John chapter 18, 10 to 11, then Simon Peter, who, who, had, a, who had a sword, so he, used, he had a sword, okay? Uh, remember the times they were living in, Right? Uh, the riots and all those things happening. I don't know if there was the influence of the zealots. I'm not too sure. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the father has given me? So we see that here's Peter, impulsive in that way. But you know what? sanctified by the Holy Spirit, God would use that. He would use Peter, how Peter was wired to do great things for him. Look at the scriptures. If you look in 1 Peter and 2 Peter, the number of times Peter talks about loving one another deeply. He talks about obeying the emperor, right? Uh, it just interests me that the same Peter that cut off Malchus's ear is the one who states in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. This is the same Peter transformed by the Holy Spirit. You know, this is sanct sanctified action orientation, isn't it? If you're an action-orientated person, don't get into the flesh by being impulsive, but allow the Holy Spirit to use your bias toward action. And it's amazing what you'll end up accomplishing. The fifth thing I want to say about Peter is that Peter was open to change. And this is so powerful as we study this. He was open to change. It's not the same Peter that um, was there right at the start, okay, that we see much later on. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 32 to 33, he spoke plainly about this 
and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Jesus was talking about his crucifixion. And then Peter starts to rebuke him about it. Like, no, don't do this. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Now, what does that do for Peter? What does that do to Peter's brand? Just think about it. What would the other disciples think? Like, huh? Is Peter Satan? But that's what Jesus says. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, it's so crucial that we actually understand this. Peter was open to being rebuked by Jesus. Jesus was seeing that the enemy was trying to use Peter to derail him from going to the cross. Peter was emotionally honest. And I like this about Peter. Okay, what you see is what you get. But isn't it interesting that he never got permanently offended with Jesus? Imagine someone rebuking Satan based on something you've just said to them. You're trying to give them some advice and they say, get behind me, Satan, to you. How would you feel? Peter was teachable and he was open to change. May God work in our hearts. May God work in our lives that we are also teachable and that we are also open to change. Very important. In Acts chapter 10, verse, I want to read quite a big passage. It's the time of uh, Cornelius and Peter and their interaction. All right. I'm going to read Acts chapter 10. I'm going to read from verse 1 through to 35. We see how Peter was open to change. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion who, uh, in what was known as the Italian regiment, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. This is very powerful. That as you're a person who's dedicated to the Lord like Peter was, God will actually speak to other people and say, go to Paul, go to Tracy, go to Stuart, go to Mumbai, go to Sean, go to Sunera, whoever you are. God will actually say, go to you, right? Go to that person for he will be your solution. He will tell you what you need to know. God has chosen to just use people. Are you a vessel of honor where God will send an angel to speak to someone or speak to someone even in a dream and say, go to that person. They will give you the answers you're looking for. I think that's amazing. And Peter was such a person, okay? Um, he is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told him everything that had happened and sent him to Joppa. Could it be that God has found you to be a faithful vessel that he will end up supernaturally directing people to you for answers? Are you that person? Are you willing to be that person? In verse 9, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. 
I believe that God uses praying people. If you're that person who's praying to God and making yourself available to Him, available to the Holy Spirit, to be used by God, very often you end up being that person, right? This is the same Peter, by the way, who was falling asleep in Gethsemane, in the Garden of Gethsemane, instead of watching and praying. The same Peter, but now, on his own volition, he's going up to the roof to pray. It says in verse 10, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Now, very often visions and dreams are symbolic, aren't they? Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. He was emotionally honest, okay? He was emotionally honest. Remember, I'm showing you how Peter was open to change. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Sometimes God will call you to do something you've never done before. And that's okay. Doesn't mean that thing is wrong. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. How many people are we condemning that God hasn't condemned? This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, so take time to ponder on the meaning of a particular vision that you get. The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, so he spent time thinking about it. Sometimes we've got this thing where we think if we're very spiritual, we immediately right there and then understand the vision. No, it's the glory of a king to search out a matter, the Bible says. Okay. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Imagine God speaks to you that clearly. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Right? Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Now remember, people were being persecuted. People were dying. People were being killed. Right? So he could have thought to himself, mm, is this a dodgy character? What's going to happen? Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. He didn't have to, but he did so. Peter was open to change. He was doing this with Gentiles. He was open to change. The people God has called you to, are you going the extra mile? Or are you just saying, okay, okay, they're not evil, I guess. We'll meet up in heaven one day. Are you inviting them into your home to be guests? Peter was willing to break out of his prejudice and traditions of men in order to obey God. His action orientation helped him to do something immediately. He didn't delay. Because it says the next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. Again, team player. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends gather of people. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. 
But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. This was so beautiful about these early apostles. So anointed. Such a strong spiritual dynamic around them. Yet when people began to bow down before them, kneel down before them, wanting to worship them, they were like, get up. I'm only a man. In verse 27, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. <laughs> okay, <laughs> It's almost like he's trying to say, guys, don't get too cozy. You know, like, you know, I'm not actually used to this. Right, guys. All right. But God has shown me open to change. God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? No objections. You see, we see his childlike faith and his simplicity in that he didn't raise any objection. What objections have you been raising with regards to God's assignment for your life for this season? What objections are you raising? Where are you procrastinating? Peter didn't. In verse 30, Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. God remembers your prayers and he remembers your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. So God commands us to tell people certain things. What is he commanding you to tell people? He's not suggesting it. You know, in this day and age, 21st century, we act like everything is a suggestion from God. What has God commanded you to tell us? They were desperate to hear. I believe that there are people out there right now who are desperate to hear. And some of us are not telling them because of our own prejudices. Because these are people we don't even associate with. We doubt them. We think, oh, that's an unclean person. Our own way of viewing people as unclean. Verse 34, then Peter began to speak. Look at it, open to change. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. So before he even preaches the gospel, he acknowledges his weakness before these people. He makes them himself vulnerable. He doesn't act like he already knew all of this. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Isn't that powerful? So Peter was open to change. The sixth thing I want to talk about with regards to Peter is that Peter enjoyed being close to Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus was something that was really important for Peter. Peter was part of Jesus' inner circle, right? He was present at the transfiguration, right? Certain miracles that Jesus did, it says he went with Peter, James, and John. Jesus had intimate conversations with him. He, he had, Peter had revelation straight from heaven. And I believe that it was partly because he did not take his proximity with Jesus, right? His proximity to Jesus for granted. He valued Jesus's words. Just look at this in John 6 verses 66 to 68. 
As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew. Jesus had just taught a difficult message saying, are you willing to eat my body? Are you willing to drink my blood? Do you remember that? Okay. Um, But look at this. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Now, we're not talking about the 12. We're talking about the crowds that followed him. So Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. You have words of eternal life. And later on, if you look in his epistles, you'll see when he talks about the incorruptible word of God. He saw that this word has life and was that value he gave to the word that caused him to remain close to Jesus. He didn't say, oh, Jesus, you're a nice guy and you never rebuke me. That's why I like hanging out with you. No, he says, Jesus, where else can we go? You've got words that bring life. And I believe that although he was not an educated man, he was an absorber of words. He absorbed Jesus's words because he knew that they had life and they had spirit. In 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 16, it says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw Jesus ourselves. We saw what happened at the transfiguration. We saw Jesus when he ascended. We saw it, right? Peter was not theoretical about who Jesus was. And for many Christians today, they're very theoretical about who Jesus is, okay? I believe that God is calling us to a deeper place of intimacy with him. Just like Peter, God is calling us to a deeper place of intimacy with him, where we walk with him, where we walk with the spirit of God, where we hear his voice, where he can say, I want you to go there and not there. And we are open. We are so yielded. I believe that this is a time where God is calling us deeper. The final thing I want to share with you about Peter, this is the seventh thing. And the final thing is that Peter was passionate about purity and holiness. This is important. You see, many people like to talk about being intimate with Jesus, but they don't like to talk about lordship. They don't like to talk about holiness. They don't like to talk about purity. I believe that the closer we get to Jesus and we see his holiness, we see his purity, we will also desire it in our lives. You know, in addition to the well-known account of Ananias and Sapphira who died for lying to the Holy Spirit about money. Okay. And Peter was involved in that. You know that. Okay. We see Peter's uh, passion for purity and his holiness when the church in Samaria was established. Look at this in Acts chapter 8, verse 14 to 24. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. I believe that Peter knew the power of someone receiving the Holy Spirit. Okay, He knew the power of someone receiving the Holy Spirit. He had experienced Pentecost. He himself had been baptized in the Holy Spirit, transformed man. He preached so powerfully on that day and uh, 3,000 people were added right to the church at that time. Okay, So he knew the power of this. And it says they received the Holy Spirit um, when Simon, now there was a sorcerer named Simon, when Simon saw that the Spirit 
was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands. He offered the money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if this happens today, some of us will just think, like, Oh, okay, that's a different sort of practice. Oh, they do that. Okay, it's fine. Let me not judge them and so on. But look at Peter's response. And I want to show you that when it comes to money matters, when it comes to purity of motives, he was very strong with regards to this. Look what he says. He says, Peter answered, may your money perish with you. That's a very strong statement. Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Right? You have no part or share in this ministry. Look at those strong words. Because your heart is not right before God. In this day and age, people don't care about heart. Just as long as the show goes on. You know, the show must go on. Impression management. It says, your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. So there was an out for him. And pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. Now, Simon hadn't yet done anything. He just had a thought like that in his heart. And he needed forgiveness from the Lord. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. He discerned that. Right? Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. A desire for purity, a desire for holiness, a desire for the fear of the Lord in our midst. I believe this needs to return to the body of Christ today. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, this is what he says. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. God is holy, the otherness of God. He's set apart and he calls us to also be set apart. And this is what Peter preached. And I believe that God wants to do a deep work in us. May you be inspired by the life of Peter. May you see that there are aspects of his character aspects of his personality that were transformed by the Holy Spirit. And may the Lord Jesus do the same for you. May he make you an action-orientated person. May he make you someone who's radically committed to the Lord, even unto death. May he make you that person with a simple childlike faith, just like Peter had. May he make you that person who is open to being changed from your prejudices, from the stereotyping that you've had in the past. May he make you a family person. If you're a father, if you're a mother, may you also be committed to your family. May you travel together with them. May you not neglect them. May you be that type of person who rises up and does what is holy, what is right. And the fear of the Lord be strong in your life. I pray that these aspects of his character and his, his personality, the sanctified dimension of these would also be upon you. In Jesus' mighty name, God bless you.